So we're just glad to be back, and thank you for praying for us. Thank you for keeping the, the, the lid on the place and, and keeping, holding down the fort, so we appreciate that. Well, we went ahead into God's Word, and before we do, we're going to dismiss our kids at the Kids' Church. Lord bless them as they go. If you have any other praises, please share that with somebody. I do want to also say thank you again to everybody who showed yesterday. I know some couldn't, and it just doesn't always work out for everyone to be here, but man, did we get a lot of things done. What a great blessing it was, and what a great opportunity to kind of maintain our facility, maintain everything we own and have, and bless our community with that. So even, you know, I went over here and got some things at Site 1, and they noticed that we're working here. And said, you know, said, oh, yeah, there people were asking, but I just said, yeah, they do chores on Saturdays. They keep up their place, you know. So it was kind of neat. You know, people notice. Praise the Lord for that. Well, let's, let's get into our word today. Man, I know you. You're just like me. We have opportunities to get in disputes and arguments and fights every week, don't we? Amen. Whether it's in, in, in our marriages and in our families, we have opportunities to fight. I remember when Jody and I were first married, you know, we went on our honeymoon and we just started fighting. Fighting over stupid things. Because you know there are some things worth fighting over and many things that aren't worth fighting for. Amen? The majority of things aren't worth fighting for. So she takes a little spoon and puts it in a skillet to make scrambled eggs. That's not going to end the world. But it did. <laughs> Grab a big spatula if you're going to take care of that woman. <laughs> right? And, and I lost it. It was terrible. You know, but I, I had to learn. Look at my kitchen, my way. Amen? Say amen to that. Amen. My kitchen, my way. Actually, it's her kitchen. Whether it's my kitchen or not, it's always her way. Right? Amen. That's it. And I had to learn to get along with that. And uh, I always wanted to fight early on about those kinds of things. But we have things like that. Whether we're in marriage, whether we're on the job, there are certain things worth fighting over and certain things not on the job. You can't cry. You can't lose your temper about every little change and thing that happens on the job. Amen? Amen. You've got to learn to roll with it. You've got to learn to pick your battles. You've got to be wise about that. You know, the same is true in the church. There might be some things that, you know, we have differences in taste. Well, thank God. Not everything is going to be to our taste sometimes in a church. We have differences in opinions. Maybe some of us are really high grace. Maybe some of us are really high truth. Hey, look at we're going to have to flex a little bit. Don't get in fights over disputable matters. It's not worth arguing over. Don't get in fights over matters of taste or matters of opinion when they're opinions. There are very few things that we really ought to fight about. There are some things worth fighting about, but very few things worth fighting about. So don't get involved. I heard one person say one day, he goes, you know what? A hound dog can whip a skunk any day, but really, why? Why would you do it? You know, all the stink and everything else you have to put up with, it's not worth it. And many times we get involved in conflicts or fights over things that just aren't worth it. They don't matter. But for from time to time, there are things that do matter. And we're going to talk about one of them today. Because in Acts chapter 15, this was worth arguing about. This really did matter. And it made a difference. 
I want to kind of take you back just a little bit. From Acts chapter 13 to the end of the book, the church is changing, and it just keeps changing, and it's moving in a whole new direction. It had all focused on Jerusalem, and it all focused on Jews coming to Christ and being set free. And Jesus was a Jew. So it all felt like it was surrounded with that. But now the gospel is moving. And there were an occasional Gentile that became a Christian. But now it's moving. It's moving in a different direction. The latter parts of Acts focus the ministry of the church and the movement of the church into an ever-widening world, into all these Gentile nations. And these Gentile nations are putting their faith in Jesus. They're becoming a part of the church. And the church is going to have to face that. The church had its roots in Judaism. It had its roots as in the people of God, the Jews. But now people were becoming the people of God, and they weren't Jews. And it wasn't about Judaism. So now what was it about? And where do we stand? So you know right away you put together these two groups of people with such vast backgrounds, questions and tensions are bound to develop, right? Because you're coming from different perspectives. So many new people, so many different ways of thinking about things. So in Acts chapter 15, the time has come. We can't put this off. There's a sharp dispute, really a sharp debate, that's come to the surface. And this is what it's come to the surface over. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be born again? and to be brought into the church and become a bona fide member of the church. Now that's worth fighting over. That's an essential. That's not one of the fringe ideas or doctrines. This is an essential doctrine. This question must be answered. What does it mean to be saved? So in our passage this morning, as we go through Acts chapter 15, we're going to kind of move through it, trying to do two things. So if you're taking notes, you can write down these two things we're trying to accomplish. One, we want to answer the question, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to really come to Jesus, be forgiven of your sins, and be saved, and walk with him as a disciple? What does that mean? And then two, there's something else we want to consider. They're in a major conflict, in a major dispute, in a major fight. How do you fight right? Okay? What model, what approach, what process do you go through to resolve disputes? Whether they be in your marriage, whether they be in, at your work, whether they be in ministry, they be in church or in doctrine, how do you resolve matters of dispute? So we're going to kind of look at that, and we're going to use the framework of their process to kind of answer the first question, which is, what does it mean to be saved? Because that's what they're addressing in Acts chapter 15 here. They're showing us some things. They're showing us their, their true colors. And they're great. These guys were full of spirit. They were righteous men. They were willing to change and grow with Jesus and his kingdom. I love it. You sometimes think they were so staunch, so hard-nosed, but they weren't. They were teachable. Are we teachable? Are we able to get along? Are we able to work together and resolve things clearly and definitively as we have disputes? And, and they were able to do it and encourage new believers too. 
They didn't lose new believers. They didn't split the church as they, as they try to resolve these things. So as we look at this framework, let's begin by reading Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. So if you've got a Bible, you can pop it open. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Certain people came down from Judaism, it says, to Antioch. Now remember, Grant hates that term, came down. Uh, we do know that Jerusalem's at a higher elevation, and we know Jerusalem is south of Antioch. So you don't, you go up to Antioch in our minds, right? You don't go down. But they went down, because they went down in elevation, and they went north to Antioch. And that's where they went. So I did that just for Grant, because he's not in here today teaching kids' church. But all right, Grant, let's go on. And it says that these certain men came, and they were teaching believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless. <laughs> wow. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Okay, these are, these are guys that have strong biblical foundations, and they have been ministering to Gentiles and great miracles and great power have been coming forth through them as these folks are being saved. They're not going to take this line down because they see this isn't right. And they're in sharp debate and dispute over this. And they, they rightfully should be. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, it said, along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem. We have this debate. We have this conflict. This is how we're going to handle it. We're going to go back and involve other people in this, other leaders. And we're going to go back to the mother church and have the, the elders and the apostles, those that we've been submitting to as our ministry has been growing, and we're going to go back to them and involve them in this decision-making. What a great, humble approach to take. And so that's what they did. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they stood up and they said, so they're going to present this opposing view or this view that the people who came to Antioch were teaching. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. If they're going to be truly saved and be a part of the people of God, they must. The apostles and elders, they met together to consider this question. And after much discussion, so they considered the question. They heard everybody's side. They listened to all, it says, after much discussion, so I don't know about you, but in, a, in, in, in talking about an issue this, this uh, weighty, this, this discussion probably lasted for hours, right? Much discussion. After much discussion, Peter got up, and he was one of the leaders of the elders, right, of, of the apostles. He got up and he addressed them. Brothers, you know, now, now here's the deal. He's going to have a totally opposite opinion but it said he allowed much discussion to happen before he shared his opinion. Get this? He let people be heard. 
He let them express their view. And so then he says, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them. He's talking about his Cornelius and their family and everybody there come to Christ in Acts chapter 10. And he says, God knows the heart and he showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. These are uncircumcised Gentile people that received the Spirit. They hadn't been baptized. They hadn't been circumcised. They weren't keeping the law, but the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Wow. He accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. Faith is important. Trust. Belief. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? See, he's, he's, he's really kind of putting in place these folks that are teaching about circumcision in the law. And he goes on, no, we believe. Somebody better say, big amen, shout it big when I get done with this. <laughs> Woo. No, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Amen. Amen. How many of you deserve to be saved? Thank you for having the wisdom to not raise your hand. <laughs> we did not deserve it. Thank you, Jesus. So our first three points are just boom, boom, boom right there. If you want to deal with a conflict and you know, deal with the issue, you've got, to, you've got to define it. Sometimes defining the issue and the problem resolves it right there. So take the time to define it. Take that work with the other person you're having the conflict with. Work hard to try to really clearly define the problem and the issue, okay? Bring that, hit, that question, that issue to the whole leadership. You know, if your husband and wife come together as husband and wife, if you're in a work thing, bring it to your boss, bring it to others that are leaders in that venue, bring it to your ministry, your church, if they're leaders, so they can participate in it. If you can't resolve it, if defining it doesn't resolve it, if you can't resolve it, bring it. And then attentively listen to, here's the third one, and debate and discuss honestly differing positions. Because people have different perspectives on things and different positions. They come from different places. So our scripture tells us these certain unnamed men, they came down to Antioch from Judea, they held a very different gospel. Obviously, they hadn't submitted their gospel to the whole leadership yet, right? So that created trouble. They just had their idea of what the gospel should be. And it was a very different one. In fact, it was a false gospel. So it couldn't be allowed to stay in the church. Their gospel could have been something like, you know what? And think about it. Reason with them. Jesus uh, was a Jew. So Christianity is Jewish. Isn't that easy to take that leap? Jesus was a Jew. Christianity is Jewish. 
To be saved, you have to believe in Jesus of Nazareth as the Christ, the Messiah of the Jews. Therefore, it would make sense in order to be a part of the covenant community, Israel, you've got to come into that community by being circumcised, and you've got to keep the law of Moses. Isn't that what God told Abraham in Genesis? We just read that in our Bible study. And he said this is so important. This is the sign. This is what, what, what brings you into this covenant with me that I'm keeping with you. Do it. And make sure that anybody you own or anybody who comes into your family or in your, in your household, they're circumcised too. Because, or, else, or else they're outside the community and they're outside of my covenant. And you will not receive the blessings of it. So, they thought their, their position was biblical. Right? You could see that. But they didn't have a, a total clear understanding of circumcision. When you read throughout the whole of Scripture, you read into the prophets, what you discover is that circumcision was a physical sign. But what really mattered to God was the circumcision that occurred in your heart. A person's heart, because he said, if your heart's not circumcised, your flesh is circumcised, well, okay. But what difference does that make if your heart isn't circumcised? And I will circumcise your heart. That's where it's leading. I'm leading to a place where I circumcise your heart. So we know that it's easy for these Jews to reason that circumcision passages applied equally to those who were Gentile or Jews if you wanted salvation in Christ. So it, it, you could see that. You could see how they could come to that position, that if you want to identify with Israel in the covenant, you have to be circumcised. But there's just... A problem with that, though, okay? That position has a problem. Um, and the problem is this, the very first one is, is that a believer doesn't have to identify with Israel to be saved. A believer has to identify with Jesus. You know, put that in your notes. That's important. A believer does not have to identify with the law to be saved. The believer's got to identify with Jesus and what he did on the cross to be saved. Isn't that good? And they didn't understand it. They didn't get that. The covenant has changed. The baptism of John and later that of, uh, of the Lord and his apostles, it was a public renouncing of Judaism as a system of works. What was in the old covenant was a system of law and of works. Now we are identifying with Jesus the Christ. And we're doing that based on what? Faith alone. He lives. And we are receiving what he's done for us by faith alone. People turn their back on legalistic Judaism. They turn to Christ. Because Jesus is the only one who kept the law. He's the only one who bore our death penalty for sinners. And he's the only one who could because he's the only one who kept the law and was pure. And so he did it on our behalf. The law could never save anybody. Trying to do right, trying to do better, you know, that doesn't cut it. Because as Paul says, wretched man that I am, what I want to do, I can't do, and the things I, I don't want to do, I keep doing. Amen? It's, it's such a horrible condition we're in when we're trying to live by the law. And trying to do ourselves. 
horrible. But Jesus saved us from all that. He kept the law. He bore the death penalty for sinners, you and me. Law couldn't save anybody. It was only going to condemn them. It would only condemn you as a sinner because when you, you want to measure the law and your performance, you're not justified. You don't measure up. You deserve to be put to death. That's the way it is. Christ alone can save. And thus people have to choose. We've got to choose between a selfish self-righteousness based upon perfect obedience to the law, which is a total fantasy, or we choose to trust in Christ's righteousness on our behalf, a gift of God's grace through faith in the person of his son who died for us. That's what I want to choose. That's where I want to stand. Peter reminded these men of his vision, of the vision that, he gave, that God gave him in Acts 10. And he brings them back to this. Remember that vision where God let down three times uh, a bunch of animals, both clean and unclean? And then he told Peter, get up and kill and eat. And Peter said, no, I have never eaten anything unclean. And then what did God say? Don't call anything unclean that I call clean or I've made clean. And he did that to Peter three times, telling him that my covenant is changing. I'm preparing you to accept this change. I'm giving you three opportunities to consider this. And now I'm moving to this change because I'm going to reach the Gentiles. And I'm going to show you that they don't have to become Jews to be believers or followers of me. They have to receive me by faith alone. And Peter echoes that. That's why he said no at that exclamation point. Emphatically, no. And then Paul echoed the same thing in Ephesians 2.8. What a great scripture. One that I hope you founded your salvation upon. So many great books in the New Testament, both Galatians and Ephesians are good if you want to make sure that your salvation and what you're believing is a salvation uh, by grace through faith. And this is what Paul writes in Ephesians 2.8. For it is by the grace you have been, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace. This not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. God had to give you a gift. God had to give me a gift out of his graciousness, or else we're going to all die and be accountable because we would never measure up. But because he loved us and because he had chosen, he gave us this gift of grace so that we are saved when we put our faith in what he's done for us. When we look to him and say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I trust you, not by works, so that no one can, can boast. It's not by works. And I do really want to read Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, but you've got to read it, and I'm not going to read it. But it talks, Paul is talking to people and talking to them about circumcision and about coming out of the old law and, and a religion of works, and that it is by grace, and it's a great passage to read. So go back and look at Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 and read it, because it's a great passage. See, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm tempted to go there. I'm not going to. Oh, maybe I'm going <laughs> to. Let me look here and see if I really feel like I have to. He, he says, let me just read this. Therefore, remember 
that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth called and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, these false teachers, which is done in the, hum the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. I'm going to leave it there. You read the rest of it. So good. So good about our salvation. It's not an act of works. They defined the issue. They did. They defined it. They brought it to the leadership. They heard the differing positions. But now we're going to continue on. Uh, and I want you to know this. You don't have to become Jewish to be a believer. We don't have to practice Jewish things. We're Gentiles. Say amen. amen. Man, sometimes people, because they get bored with their Christianity, start going back and wanting to practice these, Gentile, or these Jewish things because they're bored with their faith. God doesn't want you to be bored with your faith. You need to move on in faith and start trusting him. How can faith ever be boring? You're always stepping out into the unknown. So if you ever get bored, just know it's because I'm not stepping out with Jesus. Because when I step out with Jesus, he always takes me out on the limb. And, and I'm going to be going where no man has gone or woman has gone before. And so we've got to do that. You don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to circumcise your flesh. Even though a lot of us are circumcised because we want to be. That doesn't make us righteous. That doesn't make us right. You don't have to follow the Jewish laws. The gospel requires nothing other than a personal faith in the substitutionary death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. That's it. The Messiah, he did it in place for sinners. And that has given us now forgiveness. That has given us Christ's righteousness upon us. And we have eternal life as that gift as well. Now, I want to ask you something. Does this definition of the gospel stand up? Will it stand up to the new covenant? And will the new covenant stand up to the evidence and the scriptures? Because that's where this group of people go next. They want to, it's got to stand up. This idea that they have about the gospel has got to stand up. So the next two points you have is you've got to consider the evidence of what God is currently doing. You want to consider that as you're trying to work through a conflict. Where has God worked in the past, but where is God working now? And you want to test your assumptions to make sure they're in harmony with Scripture. Does Scripture bear it out? Does it support your position? And you want to know that. And you don't want to try to, you know, twist and, and, and make the Scriptures fit your situation. No, you want to let the Scriptures lead you. And, and, and if your, your position is true and is right, uh, it might need to refine it. The scriptures will show you so. So let's read. Let's read what they said next in Acts chapter 15, 12 through 22. And I'm not there. Okay. That's why I didn't look right. It says the whole assembly, once Peter said what he said, no, we believe that through, through the grace of our Lord Jesus, we are saved just as they are. It says the whole assembly became silent. 
as they listened to Barnabas and Paul tell about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. That's great. When they finished, James spoke up. Now you need to know, James was half-brother of Jesus. James was very respected in the church. He was a man of prayer, but he was, he was really kind of the chairman of the elders and the board of elders, of all the leadership. We don't often know this about James, but James was somebody people trusted in. And when he spoke, they listened. And it says James spoke up, finally. See how these leaders took their time in speaking up. They let other people share, get involved, and then they spoke up. James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. He's, he's legitimizing that. This is, God has done this. The words of the prophets now, which is what we're going to submit to, the words of the prophets that are written, he says, are in agreement with this. What he's saying, that scripture will back him. And then he quotes Amos. And he says, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, God said, and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Not just Jews, not just these folks, but others, including Gentiles, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. My plan was always to reach the Gentiles. My plan was always to save all people. And that's what scripture has said. And we need to know something. That when we're dealing with a conflict, while it's valid to develop our theology from God's acts among us and begin to have that build, we really do need, though, to take our interpretation of those acts. And it's got to meet and it's got to be tested by the harmony of Scripture. Does this have scriptural backing? Does this have scriptural support? Anything we do in life. So whatever your theology is about salvation or your theology is about God or about Jesus or about the church, it's got to pass the test of the scriptures. And it's got to be in harmony with scripture. And I'm here to tell you something. We all hold to things from habit and background and routine that aren't scriptural. Amen? So let's bring some of those things to the Lord and keep them fresh. We are all bound to do that. We all live by reflex and habit a lot of the times. And if we ever sit down to confront how we're living or what we really thought or what Scripture said, we'd go, oh, I don't believe that. What am I doing? That's not what I think. That's not what I believe. That's not right. So Scripture, it's got to pass Scripture. James stood up. He argued that the words of the prophets were in agreement with Peter, Paul, and Barnabas. And he told them that this was God's will, and he quoted scripture from long ago. Let scripture be your foundation. If the Bible, you know, I had Bible professors, I'm telling you. We'd start spouting certain things. He goes, okay, what's, what's your foundation? Give me a biblical reference. Well, I know it's in the Bible. Well, no, uh, no, you don't. You heretic, you false teacher. They, they would call us things like that, obviously in jest, but trying to say, know where it is. Stand on the word of God. Let it tell you what the truth is, not you tell it what the truth is. Amen? 
And it's important to do that. And that's what James did. Finally, in Acts 15, 22 through 35, we come to the final two points. I want you to hear how they went on and hear how uh, James' wisdom handled the rest of this situation, starting in 22. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some... Okay, hold on a second here. 19. It is... I started in the wrong place. Then James goes on. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and it's read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And then they decided, we're going to send two of our own along back with Paul and Barnabas. And they're going to come, and they're going to come with this letter to let them know nothing more is required of them than other that's in this letter. And when they read this letter to the church in Antioch that were Gentiles, they rejoiced over it. They were encouraged. And then it says that they stuck around, uh, Silas and, and uh, the other guy, I forget what his name was, uh, Judas or Barabbas, they stuck around and they taught, and then when they left, Paul and Barnabas stuck around and kept teaching. And it says, I love where it says that Judas and Silas said much. That meant they had really long sermons in teaching time. So, uh, you know, Lord bless you. <laughs> they talked much. And I'm not going to read the rest of that. But I want you to see some things. This was the final two steps that they took, and I love this, as a group of leaders. They showed concern for those who lost the debate. You know, they weren't trying to rub their nose in it. They weren't trying to say, we win, you lose. They showed concern. And then seven, winners of the debate surrendered some of their rights. The people who were winning the debate, they surrendered certain rights. I, I love that. I love that. This group of leaders were teachable. The matter was settled. Unity in the church, though it, it, it had changed, was preserved through that change. But it wasn't preserved for all time. But it was in this instance. It was changed. It was different. And, and as you look at the things that they required of them, there were things that really were acts of love and fellowship so that Jews and Gentiles could fellowship with each other without being kind of aghast because they would do things that were so different in their background and culture. For instance, let's look at it again. It says, um, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to not burden you with anything beyond the following requirements, to abstain from food sacrifice to idols. You know that there, there was a whole book written, right? Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church about that. You know, practice love. Some people can handle and eat food sacrificed to and it's not a big deal, but other people can't, and it, and it harms their faith and their heart. Uh, don't make this an issue. You know, abstain from meat if it's going to offend somebody and hurt them. Do it out of love and concern. You don't have to win. You don't have to have everything you want. This isn't that hard. So he's trying to tell them, do that. So you abstain from food sacrificed for miles, and then from blood. The Jews believed that life was in the blood. And they were also commanded not to, to 
drink that life or eat that life or else they would be under God's curse in the Old Testament law. Well, they honored that life and they were to honor. And so the Gentiles could honor them by refraining from that, from the meat, from strangled meat of animals. Well, that was just something that you didn't do. You, you sacrificially killed the animals the right way. And it showed respect and honor. And it was honoring unto God. They could quit doing that. You know, just wring the necks of your chickens behind the, the barn or something, you know? Just don't put it out in their face. And then finally, from sexual immorality. Um, the Gentiles' idea of of marriage and different things was a bit different than the Jews. They weren't quite as restrictive. And they said, hey, honor the marriage bed. Honor your temple and refrain from these things. So those are pretty mild concessions, which, you know, they, they just were going to be God-honoring anyhow. But he said, you'll do well if you just avoid these things. And they said, farewell. So there you go. I love that. I love that. There were still, though, itinerant preachers who would not, um, would not receive this news and didn't. And, and we still have that today, people wanting to put us under a yoke of slavery. They popped up, and they were teaching that Christians ought to submit to the law of Moses and the circumcision. In fact, Paul wrote the book of Galatians, and it was written just to correct and combat that teaching that didn't seem to want to go away. We have this in our modern day. When I first came to Christ, I had a church uh, that was connected to our church, but it really wasn't. It was just, uh, it had a historical connection. But they didn't believe anybody in our church was saved because we weren't saved in their church and we weren't saved and filled in, in living a holy life without sinning. They absolutely believed once you accept Jesus, Lord and Savior, you're filled with the Spirit, you never sin again. You want to adopt that? No mistakes, no sinning. You go there, and I went there, because I got to check this out. You know, I'm always one ready to hear, because I'm like, going, oh, dude, I'm saved. Son of a gun, you can't tell me I'm not saved. And so I show up there, and I show up with a friend of mine who was a girl who hadn't been saved very long, that was a mistake. I wasn't very wise. Because she ended up, I ended up fighting for the Lord, and she ends up doubting her salvation. So, you always want to be careful with what you do. But you have people standing up going, I, Hi, I'm Sister So-and-so, I've been saved, and I haven't sinned since 1938. <laughs> you know, and I thought, oh my gosh, Jesus, help me. You know, and, and, and they looked like they, were, they were, weren't sinning. I thought, your attitude right now is sin. Your arrogance is sin. I'm sorry, I'm poking fun, right? I shouldn't. That's sinning? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> if poking fun at things is sinning, I'm in trouble. Sorry, Jesus. I'm going to repent of that. But there's always been that, and there always will be. And we have other religious groups around that always try to put us under this yoke of legalism and law. Hey, holiness is good. Righteousness is good. I want to become more holy and more righteous, but I'm, I'm saved through faith. I'm saved by grace through faith, not by works. At least any of us would boast. So 
The deal is, as we go forward and we have conflicts in the church, and we may have doctrinal conflicts, or we may have other conflicts, what do we do as we go forward? This is what we do, and this is kind of our conclusion. Seek to hear the Holy Spirit's voice in your heart and your mind. Seek to hear him through your brother and sister in the Lord. Listen in your heart and prayer. Listen to your brothers and sisters, but then pay major attention to the written word of God, the Bible. Let it be the foundation. And as we debate our issues, as we even get disturbed by maybe things that others are doing or not doing, let's always remember, we are one family, amen? We are one family in Jesus. And those who differ in their opinions from us remain brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters whom we are called and have the duty to love. We may have differing opinions about disputable matters. That's all right. We might get irritated at each other sometimes. <coughs> but don't make mountains out of molehills and don't fight over things like that. There's only a few things worth fighting over. Jesus, salvation, whether you like the Chiefs or not, um, whether you like K-State or KU, I don't know. No. no, those aren't worth fighting over, right? We can fellowship and still love. The K-Staters can fellowship with the KUers, right? And it can be okay. Amen. But you know what I'm saying? We can be Republicans and Democrats. We can... I know, <laughs> you're pushing me now. You know I me, mean? we can do that, and we can be okay. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need to show that. That's what the church is about. That's what the church is about. Amen? So as I close, I want to leave you with this. I want to ask you this question. To all who gather here, do you understand the gospel? Do you understand it today? Is that the simple message that you understand that all men are sinners? We are incapable, men and women, and we are incapable of saving ourselves, and we are doomed to eternal torment. We are on our own. But salvation, the good news is, has been provided through Jesus of Nazareth, God's Son, God's Messiah. And God knew it had to be that way, and he so loved us, he sent his Son to die in our place on the cross. Jesus did. He was buried. But then on the third day, he rose to life and newness of life. And all we have to do is believe in him. All we have to do is admit that we are a sinner. All we have to do is trust in his death to justify me. Wow. And then base my life on the power of God himself, the power of the resurrection, the power of the spirit that he fills me with to live a new life, a life that's free, a life that's growing, a life that's making me more like Jesus that the law could never do. That is the salvation we preach. It leads to eternal life. It leads to being ready when Jesus returns. That is our gospel. Do you understand it and do you accept it? If, if this is the first time you've understood it and you've accepted it, I just want you to stand right now and we want to close in prayer and pray for you. I know that might sound scary, but just do that, because we all had to. I remember the time when someone said, you know, called me forward, and I finally understood it, and I responded, and it says, those who honor me before men, I will honor. 
I walked forward to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. I had to. If that's you today, and it's the first time you truly understand it and understood his grace, and you believe, stand up and we'll pray for you to receive it. If not, let's take this message to the world. Let's set them free. Let's not burden them. Stand with me and let's close in prayer. Amen? Let's close. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, we are so grateful for the brothers and sisters in the Lord that have gone before us. We're so grateful for their righteous leadership. We're so grateful for their, their commitment to the truth and to grace and to compassion and to wisdom. Thank you that they work together. Thank you that they were teachable. Thank you, God, um, for the gospel they have left us with. Lord, may we continue to carry that gospel on and be faithful unto you. May their grace and their sacrifice on our behalf inspire us and just continue to reignite that love and that inspiration within us to carry the gospel forward until you return, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. We pray for those who need to know you as Lord and Savior, who are stuck in law, stuck under condemnation, under shame, under guilt. Let them know and help us to let them know they could be free of those things. That you, Lord Jesus, could free them and change them. The power of your spirit could transform them. So, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that we would be clear about your gospel and take it forward, and especially during this Easter season, and that you be glorified through our witness. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and we all said together, Amen. Amen.